streams yet. I'm going to check that out real quick here, folks, and uh, see if we are. Hopefully we are. But uh, I am going to be monitoring, and when you see me looking over here, I'm either looking at my notes or I am looking um, at your comments, one or the other. We should be good to go on Odyssey, uh, Rumble. We should be good to go on Float, if Float doesn't crash again like it does so often. And uh, we should also be on uh, the Book of Faces, the Book of, uh, we, the, I say the Book of Censorship, and uh, we should be live on Twitter as well. If you actually see me on Facebook and you make comments, they do stream into StreamYard, and I can actually see them on the screen directly in front of me. If you do happen to be tuned in on Facebook, and I, I bet you very few are because I'm shadow banned there, Please do me a favor and share it with your friends. Maybe I'll get banned from Facebook, too, just like I'm banned from YouTube this week. Because we are banned from YouTube, I am going to kind of favor one stream service to monitor on and off for your comments. And that is uh, that is going to be Odyssey today. So if uh, you really want to comment, the best chance of having me see what you're saying, go to Odyssey. I will be doing questions and interactions directly with the audience after I get through my bullet points today, which are long, but are going to be fast. And so if I don't, if I don't catch your comment, especially without having the tools that, uh, the integration between StreamYard and YouTube, uh, give me, uh, when I start asking for questions, uh, ask them again. If you're here early and you're in the Odyssey or any of the other streams and, and, and people come in and they're asking questions, make sure you let them know that for me. Uh, you guys can help me help you do a, a better job. All right. So now here's what I want to tell you today. I got a ton of stuff and some we're going to hit on really, really quick. And the first one I want to hit on today is Neil Young, because I keep seeing so much and hearing so much and being asked about it so much. Of course, if you've paid attention at all to what's going on, Neil Young has successfully canceled himself. Cancel culture is starting to eat its own tail like a snake swallowing itself. And uh, if you're not familiar with what happened, Neil Young came out and wrote an open letter to Spotify. Which some people speculate was actually his wife's idea, or maybe she did it. Uh, I'm not sure why anybody would think that. I've seen no credible evidence of that. Uh, but he basically told Spotify, it's Joe Rogan or me. And Spotify told him, bye, you aging rocker that no one cares about anymore. Um, you're lucky that Crosby, Stills, and Nash let you be part of what they were doing for a while. Nobody tuned in for you. See it. Um, and the, the truth is, Neil Young has some good songs. I have some Pandora stations that have Neil Young songs on it. I've never been a huge fan, but he's got some decent music. It's not like there's nothing that the guy ever, like he never had any talent or anything. I, I love dissing on him for all this stupidity, but it, he did have some decent music. And one of his best songs, and most poignant songs, and most political songs that was accurate, was a song called Ohio. It's about the Kent State Massacre, where United States National Guard troops shot peaceful protesters dead. And there's no way around it. There's no way talking around it. There's some of those, uh, you know, like super patriot types or whatever that always want to come up with, but they were, you know, doing the, No, no. The United States National Guard murdered college students who were no threat to anybody at Kent State. And Neil Young wrote a song about it. And so you've got a rocker here who, in the, I guess you call him an easy listening musician, folk singer, really, But you got this guy from that whole era of the United States where everything was about distrusting of your government. And he writes this song, and you know there's a line in it, Ten Soldiers, uh, Nixon's Coming, or something like that, right? And you might think, and I kind of put this out on social media to see how people would respond to it. Nobody picked up on the, the backside meaning of it. That it would be really ironic that a man who wrote a song about the government intentionally murdering people, their own people, for no reason other than dissent, would then come out and, and be blindly faithful to government and government side of the story. It's not ironic at actually at all. I put it out there like that to see if anybody would pick up on it. 
You notice the president mentioned in that song is Nixon. And I don't think that was really about Watergate. That was just about who was in charge at the time that it happened. I think this partisan bullshit goes back forever. And it was blind allegiance to Democrats and blind hatred of Republicans that drove Neil Young to write that song all the way back then. I, I don't think there's anything ironic about it at all. And uh, I think that the whole thing was nothing but a publicity stunt that backfired. I don't think Young and his people ever thought that Spotify would actually take Joe Rogan off over Neil Young. I think what they thought was thought Spotify would do nothing, and for a time, that's what they did. And I guess somebody at Spotify just thought, you know, we don't need this. We don't need all these aging rockers. We don't need all these irrelevant relics of the past that are lucky to be here and making any money at all on, on our platform. We don't need this to be a thing that people start doing every other day on Twitter. And basically, we need to, to operate the way that the ownership of the Pittsburgh Steelers did when Antonio Brown demanded more money before his contract was up. And then had the, uh, the gumption to go out on Twitter and say, don't pay me and see what happens. And Steelers ownership was like, bye. And that's not like, you know, my, my Steeler fanboy thing coming out. It's just a thing that happened that I'm aware of. And that's kind of what Spotify did. Just like, oh, okay, so it's, it's you or the guy that puts out podcasts that gets, you know, sometimes like 50 million downloads, which in a country of, a, of 300 million, you really need to think about that. So uh, I think Spotify just cut that before it became a thing, and good for them. Absolutely good for them. And I think, again, I think Young just thought he would get, you know, 15 seconds of fame in the middle of all the virtue signaling COVID crap, and then it would just go away. I don't think they ever he ever thought that Spotify would just go pull the plug. In fact, I kind of doubted it when my wife told me that it happened. I, I said, you know, is that on, you know, Joe Blow News or something? And she said, no, it's on, it's on, it's on Fox, it's on Breitbart. And I'm like, oh, okay, all right. So bye-bye, Neil Young. Southern man don't need you around anyhow. Um, wanted to do something just to clear the air, and I wanted to make it my second story so more people had time to be in the stream to make sure that they heard it. Um, I mentioned that Baker Creek had a pretty shitty COVID policy. Uh, at least I was told that they did, that they were uh, firing employees for not getting vaccinated. That's Baker Creek Seeds, rareseeds.com. And I mentioned that I emailed a contact that I had there, and I asked if they wanted to make a statement about it. And they didn't respond to me. And I took that as confirmation that, you know, the things that I said they were doing was probably true, or I was told they were doing was probably true. And I didn't really know, but it was a shame that they didn't get back to me. Well, several of you guys have emailed them, and for some reason you guys got an answer, and I did Maybe because you didn't email a contact that got pissed off the question got asked. You just emailed customer service. And Baker Creek has stated publicly they have not fired a single person for refusing the vaccine, and they don't do that, and that's not their policy. And all I can say is good. I'm very happy to hear that. They also say they follow best practices for safe workplaces. So I think what that means is the accusations that people like working in seed houses and stuff like that in the middle of rural Missouri are forced to wear a mask. That's probably true. However, there's probably thousands and thousands and thousands of businesses that are due to litigation concerns making their employees wear masks for no practical reason. If we don't do business with anybody like that, We're not going to have many people left to do business with. When I get wrapped up today and the kids are back with their parents, I'm taking my wife out to, to lunch, and I'm sure our server will be wearing a stupid mask while we're not even here in Texas. So that makes me very happy that I can once again recommend uh, in full uh, Baker Creek. Uh, again, I, I know that uh, Jerry Gettle is kind of a... a, a Complete left-wing ideologue, that's fine. Lots of people are left-wing ideologues. Lots of people are right-wing ideologues. Uh, I'm not either, but I'm not going to not do business with somebody because of their political ideology. I will tend to not do business with people for their practices. That, that's much more important to me. All right, next up. Yesterday, I also like to correct myself when I get proven wrong. And I wasn't really wrong, but what I said hadn't happened now has happened. Yesterday, I talked in my segment on the Expert Council show about the Truckers' Rebellion. That's what I'm calling it. People are calling it Strike Right. It's a rebellion, guys. 
It's a rebellion. Thousands of trucks, tens of thousands of trucks, hauling ass to Ottawa. And my understanding is some U.S. truckers have now gotten involved. I have not been able to confirm that yet, but I, I've been told that. Uh, something in a neighbor of 30,000, of 30, I'd be real careful if I was a U.S. trucker doing that, crossing international borders to take part in a protest. I think that could be bad for those people. And I'm not saying they shouldn't do it on an ethical standpoint, but it might not tactically be a good idea if that's what's happening. And again, I don't know. Um, but I said yesterday that it was interesting to me that no American mainstream media source had covered this with more than a 30-second blurb that ended with, and Trudeau said it's a small fringe group. Well, um, last night Tucker Carlson ran a, a reasonable length piece, uh, like five to seven minute piece, somewhere in that range on it. I have a link to it in the audio notes that you'll be able to get after the stream ends. About one hour after the stream ends, you can be pretty sure that'll be there. With the Friday ones, they go up even faster than that. And... Uh, So I, was, I wasn't wrong, but now what I said hadn't happened has, and I want to clear the air on that, and I want to say good on Tucker. Um, and good on Tucker this time for not waiting forever to get to it. It seems like Tucker Carlson tells the truth eventually, right? Like, it, or let's say part of the truth. Don't expect any of these people to be perfect. Don't ever throw in my face, because I don't have any respect for people that do this, but did you know that one time so-and-so said this? I don't give a shit. I talk about the thing we're talking about and the source of that information at the time and whether it's relevant and accurate. So for the most part, Tucker Carlson is ahead of the curve on mainstream media with telling you what's going on, especially with this COVID shit, even though he doesn't do it 100% right. That's okay. But he's usually way behind. You'd expect this to be like a week after it's over or some shit. So good on him for actually getting there. And I think this is starting to actually build up more momentum It is not have a sales uh, coming out of it. And what is that? What is the prime minister, right, which is like our president here in the States, what is the prime minister of Canada doing in response to this? He's going, he's going Biden. He's going Biden. Trudeau's taking his ass down the basement, right? Trudeau said, well, even though I had my third booster or my fourth booster or whatever the hell booster he, he claims to be on now yet, his saline injections, um, I was exposed to someone with the Omicron. I need to run and hide and go and I feel fine. I'll probably be okay, but I need to go into isolation. Maybe you're going into isolation because like 30,000 angry fucking truckers are heading for your Capitol building and they're really pissed off. And you don't want to be seen while it happens and you're hoping you can wait it out. And this is the problem here for the side that's riding this. It may work. I really don't know that, that Canada has the, the stomach to suffer long enough for the strike to matter. How long will it take for the public that's standing out on the side of the road waving Canadian flags, good for you right now, to look in your refrigerator and realize, well, I'm not a prepper, shit, I should have been. And then when your government comes out, it says 58,700 truckers in Thunder Bay yesterday. That is amazing. That's what Brad's telling us in the comments. If you, if you are on, on Facebook and you comment, I can do what I'm doing right now. And put you up on the screen. So if you want to comment from Facebook. And if you're on Facebook. I think there's like six of you right now. I know I got 10,000 followers. But shadow bands suck. Share this stream right now. Share it right now. If you're watching me or listening to me on Facebook. Hit the share and share it. I'm not going to get you banned today. I promise. We're not going to go that deep into the COVID stuff. Um, but 58,000 truckers. If that's an accurate number. That's a lot of pissed off truckers. And I don't know if you've ever looked at the average dude that drives a truck for a living. They're usually somebody capable of beating ass. I'm just going to put it that way. If you ever hang outside of a truck stop, I'm not saying all of them, but a good majority of them are the kind of people that will pick up a freaking tire billy and knock the snot out of you if need be. I guess if I had 57,000, 58,000 truckers coming to talk to me that were pissed off at me, I might go into hiding too. Of course, I wouldn't do the shit that pissed him off. Anyway, good luck, uh, Trudeau. Good luck. Justin is in hiding. Next up, this is something that's a buzz right now. We're going to cover a lot of uh, current topics on the show today, a little unusual for us. We're not going to be talking about a lot about gardening and things. We do need to look at what the fuck's going on around this once in a while. Well, um, we've known for a while that your government's just letting illegal aliens pour across the southern border. 
many of them carrying not just COVID but, but other illnesses with no concern whatsoever for your safety, which I don't directly oppose open borders. We'll get to that so I can piss at least half y'all off. Um, but I do oppose it 100% the way it's being done right here. You're locking down people in their homes. You're forcing our children to wear masks in school while the governor of New York poses maskless with the masked children. That's fucking child abuse. I'm sorry, it is. While you leave the southern border wide open to known terrorists, or at least suspected terrorists. What? You didn't hear about this? So apparently... These jackasses on the southern border, what they did recently, they caught an illegal alien. He was on the terror watch list. They had the FBI in, like interview this motherfucker. And the FBI's like, no, this, guy, this dude should not be released into the country. So they deported him to Michigan. <laughs> and let him go. They let him go. I mean, and, and you know what else they've done? Because, you see, if you're an illegal alien you come into the United States because they let you, you get arrested. You get arrested. And they give you the warrant for your arrest, a copy of it. And then they let you go and say, come back later for this hearing on whether or not you can stay, you know, a provisional, you know, asylum, basically. And then they fly you wherever you they want you to go in the middle of the night. We have video of that now of them being unloaded in small airports that are closed in New York. We are, this is, and everybody's like, oh my God, did you see that? It's like, this shit was going on in Florida three months ago. We had video of it happening there, and it's been ongoing. But, you know, they figured out we got a problem here. We, we've let these people in the United States. And they don't have ID, maybe. You know, maybe if you go to California, they'll give you one. But maybe they have a hard time getting ID. Well, they might need to fly somewhere. They might need to get on a commercial airline and fly somewhere. So what can we do? And somebody in the Biden administration who thinks they're a genius came up with this idea. Why don't we let them use their arrest warrant as an ID to get on an airplane? You think I'm fucking kidding you, don't you? If you haven't seen it yet. Nope. Nope. And, and the government has confirmed that they're doing this. If you are an illegal alien and you were arrested upon entry into the country and then released and given a copy of the warrant for your arrest, you can now use your arrest warrant as an ID card to get on a commercial aircraft. Isn't that wonderful? That's, that's, that's so brilliant of those people. Yep, that's happening. So they're dumping these people all over the country. Now, I know some of y'all out there probably mad at me right now. I don't have... Odyssey pulled up. I know I got some puritanical, uh, puritanical anarchists in my audience that everything has to be puritism. My ideology is pure, but my practical applications are are based on reality. They're based on logic and reason. And this is this is how an anarchist would view an open border policy. Since there's no state, there's no border. Shut up. We're done. We don't have to. We don't have to discuss it anymore. But as a pragmatist, that does not exist. Okay, the libertarian that is 100% pure open borders will will basically say, "Hey, people have a right to move around." Okay, but here's what I don't think you have: if you're in the government taking our money away, you don't have a right to have a law apply to you and violate the law that you're using our money to violate. As a pragmatist, I'm not okay with that. This is in violation of their own laws. And this is bad for a country. And, and I, I'll, I'll tell you, by the time I'm done today, if you don't believe that America is, is having its leadership commit suicide on behalf of the country, you're not paying attention. You're not paying attention. Or you don't want to accept it. And, and this is the problem with the purical, puritanical view of an anarchist saying, well, then it should, it should all fall anyway. That'd be great if it fell into the arms of a society ready for it, prepared for it, that is, that is ready to implement solutions at a level sufficient for those solutions to hold. Because nature abhors a vacuum. You want to see a garden full of weeds? Plant your parts, your plants, the, the specified distance apart. And don't put any kind of ground cover in between them. It will fill itself with weeds. 
Because if there's an empty space, nature will fill the space. And humans work the same way. And the greatest tyrannies that have ever existed on the planet, I would say honestly, were Stalin's, Stalin's Soviet Union and Mao's China. And they both came into existence, at least their prodigy before them, that allowed them to take power due to a power vacuum. Due to an existing power structure falling while there wasn't a better power structure to transition to. This is how every single tyranny that has ever existed in our society has come to be. This sucks, so we're going to get rid of it. Oh, damn, now we did it. Now what? And if you look at what's being done to this country right now, it's exactly what's being done. We will destroy ourselves. And this requires either malice or ignorance or both. You take your pick. But this is bad. You can't be taking, and, and a lot of these illegal aliens, you know, they're not the guy that's standing outside of Lowe's looking for day work. I don't have a problem with him at all. Some of these people are known violent offenders. And I don't want known violent offenders living near me. If we had my way of doing things, they wouldn't. We have other ways to handle it. But we can't do that. We don't have that system in place. And that means we either put them in prison or pay for them. But I got an idea. If you're a known violent offender and you're not a citizen of this country in our current situation, how about we just catapult your ass back where you came from? And how about we start like saying, okay, let me explain how this works, jackass. You're getting cat you're lucky we're catapulting you back to Timbuktu or wherever the fuck you're going. That's what you're getting deported. Since you are a known felon, violent felon. If you come back, you're going to fucking prison for fucking 50 years without parole. That might just solve the problem if you actually wanted to solve the fucking problem, which obviously they don't. All right. Next up, um, here's the question that no no journalist right now will ask Joe Biden. I bet you even Peter Ducey will not ask this question. If you let me into a White House press conference, wouldn't that be fucking cool? I know I'd get my ass thrown out, because as soon as I got my question done, I'd take my mask off just so I could get thrown out. But I'd leave it on long enough so I could ask the question. It'd be like, more, 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 more. No, I can speak loud enough that I can be heard through a mask, at least for one question. Mr. President, is it acceptable or constitutional to eliminate a job applicant due to their race or their gender? Mr. President, is it acceptable or constitutional to eliminate a job applicant solely due to their gender or their race? There's only one way you can answer that question, honestly, anyway, and that is no. So you know the follow-up question. Then aren't you eliminating candidates for the current open Supreme Court justice seat based on their color and their race? If you say you're going to appoint a black woman to the Supreme Court, then aren't you eliminating anybody that's Hispanic, male, I don't know, Asian, white? It's not just white, white men you're eliminating, right? You're eliminating all of that. And given this is a lifetime appointment, somebody might, might sit on this bench for 30 or 40 or more years. Don't you think you should be looking, even if it supports your ideology, for the absolute best candidate you can find? And didn't you take an oath to, now I'm asking more than one question, right? But I mean, if, if you let me keep talking, more, 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 I'm wearing my mask again, right? Now, you know, you know, didn't you take an oath to uphold and defend the Constitution of the United States? Is it constitutional, Mr. President, to deny an opportunity to someone based on their race or gender? I don't believe that it is. Now, here's the thing. This is how stupid this man really is. I don't know if it's stupidity or if it's intentional. But there was a way to do this that anybody that bitched about it would have actually looked like a racist instead of just being called one. You could have just done it. You could have found a really great, because I'm sure there is a really great, I'm sure you and I will not like his pick, but as far as highly qualified Justice or judge that exists that also has to be black and female. I'm sure you can find some. 
I'm sure there's some pretty good ones, at least the credentials that would get you through Senate confirmation. Could have just picked one. Now whoever this person is, I, if it was me, I wouldn't even want the job. I wouldn't even want the job because then I'm forever going to be the first black female Supreme Court justice because I'm a black female. And you've just taken a momentous accomplishment. Like, there's very few people in the world that will ever rise to that level. And you've made it about nothing but their color and their gender. Good job, Biden. Of course, if you're trying to fucking destroy a country, that'll, that'll help get it done now, won't it? Uh, next up, we'll go to something totally different here. Um, has Bitcoin hit its bottom? I'm getting an absolute ton of questions about Bitcoin right now. The answer is I don't know. For those of you on the stream, I am about to share uh, my screen with you here just for a moment. And I'm going to bring up pricing history of Bitcoin. Let me add that to the screen. There we go. All right. So what you're looking at now, if you can see it, is one-year pricing history. And I actually have to go to the other screen so I can see it. But if you go all the way back to uh, 30 January 2021, and so it's a little more than a year they're actually shown here, we were at $33,945. And as of today, we're at $37,17. Uh, if you go back to just a little bit before that, we're actually a little bit at like a couple dollars ahead. Dead in the center, you'll see a low of $29,000. And you can see kind of a bottom pattern that formed from about the 22nd of May, uh, where that first big peak down is, all the way until we hit that bottom of 29. And we got a really hard bounce. We got a drop, and that drop took us down into the $41,000 range. Then we surged from mid-October uh, into uh, November, We surged up to 68000 I really thought we would break the $70,000 ceiling there. We did not. And we've been in nothing but a downward slide ever since. And now we have this little bitty looking like a bottom. What I want you to notice is throughout this one-year history, there's been plenty of times where, oh, that looks like a bottom on the 23rd of May at 34000 And then just a few months forward, the 20th of July, we're at 29000 So just because you get a bounce doesn't mean you're done with the downward trend. I don't really know here. I will tell you that I bought quite a bit of Bitcoin during this drop, but I have cash in reserve right now, and I'm waiting to buy more because my gut is we're not at bottom yet. I also hold a lot of Bitcoin, and I'm going to tell you that if you, if you have capital available and you buy right now, two years from now you're not going to give two shits about how far the bottom went. You're just not. We, this is this is a known cycle that continues. If we really want to understand what's going on, this is what we need to look at. And I'll switch now to all. So the the all on this particular graph only goes back to 2013 uh, when Bitcoin was $107. And you have these two big peaks here now. And you have what looks like support that formed on the way up at about 30000 and on the way down at 30000 and reforming now. But this is not a complete technical analysis looking at it like this. And also looking at it over, let's look at it over a month. Over a month, you actually see what looks a lot more like a bottom forming. Only thing is, I'll point out to you, if you go back to 7 of January, and you look from 7 of January to about 19 January, that looked like a pretty good bottom formation right there, didn't it? And then it fell through, uh, peaking on... January 20th, and it fell through from 42, and then by 22 January, we were at 34. So there's no guarantees here on this at all, uh, as far as have we hit a bottom yet. And this all comes down to, are we, are we finished with the four-year cycle or not? Willie Wu, who's one of the best analysts in the business, says we're, we're, that cycle's over. If it is, then we could see $100,000 Bitcoin or higher by the end of this year. If it's not over, I think you can expect continued fall. And there's, there's, and we're going to talk about a totally different subject in a bit where there's room for both sides to have some legitimacy. 
Is it maybe a blended thing where it's it's partially over and maybe it won't go and correct as much as it did? But on the if you look at the cycles over time, if you get into a much more um, adjustable graph where you can adjust your beginning and your ending more than just you know going ten years, uh, and you can actually set a start and end so you can drill down into those places that look really flat just because we're so high now. What typically has happened in these cycles is your halving comes, you get a massive surge upward. And then you end the year strong, and then you come into the next year after that surge, and you have a massive drop, and then it goes kind of lackluster relative to its past high for a year or two. And then it all happens again. You keep getting this stepping upward. And then your next breakout is, is ridiculous compared to your last one, and it goes where no one ever thought that it could. My gut is both sides are a little bit right. The four-year dependable 100% cycle is done. It is very possible that we simply outperformed early, and it will take time to see that turn and, and continue a natural progression. I, I think at some point, as Bitcoin becomes more and more adopted, you have to get into something more realistic with annualized returns, somewhere in the number of 50% for quite a while. Um, you're not going to have annualized returns of 200% forever. If you do the math on that, it gets, you know, you're not talking $10 million Bitcoin. You're talking, you know, you're talking, you know, $20 billion Bitcoin. That's not happening. There's got to be a point where it begins to perform a little bit more steadily. And I think we're entering that. And I think you're going to see quite a bit of volatility as we do. And you still have the monkey business done with the futures market and the futures ETFs. Uh, you got clowns like Schiff out there going, well, people buy Grayscale. You get it because Grayscale does not perform commensurate Bitcoin, dumbass. And you know that, and that's why you're saying it's stupid. And you're not actually that stupid, so you're pretending to be stupid while your son pumps it and you dump it, right? And, and you take Bitcoin for your gold that you're telling people to buy. And everybody with a brain knows the bullshit you're pulling. You might as well just stop. But I guess once you get committed to something, you can't. Uh, I just think that This is one of those times, like, you can only decide when you want to buy. But one of the things we need to understand, for those of you that only bought at $60,000 and feel really bad about it, every time you buy again, you average out your basis. And you, you, when you buy low, you drag those, that, that high basis down. And if you keep buying, and I buy no matter what I think, I buy some Bitcoin every month, and I will for as long as I can. There, there's where I'm at on it. And I've had a lot of, are you worried? Are you? I am not worried. I do not give two fucks. But I also always try to temper this with this additional advice. Because when you started holding Bitcoin in 2014, it's hard to give a fuck when something like this happens. First of all, you've been through it so many times. You're just like, oh, this again. Okay, cool. Let's buy some more. But your basis is so low that, you know... $25,000 is a lot of money. And here's what I keep thinking about. In December of 2020, there was one of the largest holders of Bitcoin in the, in the known, you know, as far as known holders. And Bitcoin hit like $25,000 and change. He sold half his Bitcoin. And he said because he didn't want to treat it like any, he wanted to treat it like any other asset from now on. And it was so when it went back down, he could buy more. It still ain't hit $25,000 since he did that. And when you, when you stay above a number for that long, you're talking two years plus now, I don't think we're going below that number. But I don't pretend to know. All right, let's move on. A doctor told me he wanted to debate me on vaccines. And I don't know if he knew what I mean when I say a debate, but it's like the flat tard debate that I'm about to have. Even though flat earth is easy to disprove, I'll have a good 20, 25 hours of preparation into that. To go up against a doctor about vaccines, I would have about 40 hours of work before I went into a debate. Because when I have the flat earth card debate, let me tell you how it's going to happen. We're still hammering out the exact parameters, but the basic parameters we have right now will be each of us, each of us gets eight minutes to do our in opening statements with AV if we want to do it, so slides or whatever. After that, we will have each submitted five questions for our moderator to ask us plus five questions that our moderator will source from the general public. 
So that's 15 questions. Each time a question is asked, the, person, the first person will get two minutes to answer it. The other person will get two minutes to respond. And then the first person will get a one-minute rebuttal. Okay? And the other side will get the one-minute rebuttal if they want it. And we'll go through all those questions. At the end of those questions, we'll get a, a, a time period where we get to do cross-examination of each other. And then at the end of that, we will make our closing statements. And our, our, our rules will not be like the clown shows you see on TV. Our moderator is going to be Nicole Sauce, and it doesn't matter that we're friends. She said flat out, if you go more than 15 seconds over your time, I will mute you. And I think that's wonderful. So that's what I mean by a debate. So when a doctor wants to debate me on vaccines, not something I totally absorb like hydroxychloroquine, which he didn't want to do, by the way, which I find, I'll explain why I find it ironic in a second. Um, then I'm going to have to put in 40 hours. For, for a layman to stand up to a credentialed MD on vaccines, which, by the way, I don't think it's a vaccine because Moderna says it's not a vaccine, which is one of the things he disagreed with. Um, but we, I, I did say, I, so I told him first, I said, why don't you go, you're a doctor. Steve Kirsch, who this is his thing, and he's been begging for any doctor to do a debate like this with him For over a year, he offered Fauci and any high-up bureaucrat making these decisions in government $5 million to debate him, and they won't do it. Why don't you go debate him? If you're credentialed enough, maybe there's a bounty in it for you. Well, he came back and said, Kirsch is kind of erratic. I don't know. I came to you because I thought you were, you know, you were sane and reasonable. There's nothing about Kirsch that's not sane or reasonable. Nothing. He just knows a lot more than I do, and I don't think he wants to try to stand with him in a, against in a debate. I think that this guy, nice guy, nothing, I'm not saying anything negative about him as a man, but I think he felt like, well, Jack's a, a guy that is a high school graduate that spent his whole life in telecom and, and SEO. There's no way you know he's going to stand up technically to an MD here. And I emailed him back. I said, I just want you to know that I could. And I, I pointed out a few things that were flawed with his logic. And one of the things he came back with and, and claimed was that COVID deaths are not overreported, but they're underreported. I find this interesting. And he pointed out what the all-cause death rate is as far as how far above expected it is. And it's a couple hundred thousand a year or something like that. And he says that proves that the, the, the COVID deaths are underreported. Now I'm going to leave out... The fact that the fucking CDC has told us if you die of any cause with a positive COVID test, you are ruled a COVID death. Because that's my summation that it's overreported. But that's not his contention. We're not talking about it. He's, he's saying it's underreported due to the all-cause mortality numbers. And this is a big number, and it's outside of like a statistical anomaly. And it's consistent for two years. And here's what I asked him. I asked him, Four questions in response to that. Have you looked at the reports, the reported numbers in VARES, and considered that VARES is underreported? His answer was no, but I can tell you that if there was something wrong with the data and this vast conspiracy in science, that other scientists would be speaking up against it. Well, first of all, they are, but they're being silenced. But it's not a conspiracy. That's my next bullet point. We'll get there. But So, no, he hadn't. And I even said, how about you do this? How about you take the number in VAERS of reported deaths and to be conservative, cut it in half, but then multiply it by the factor of 10 that almost everybody admits it's underreported at least by a factor of 10. And by the way, I know doctors and nurses who have told me they are being threatened and told not to report to VAERS for all adverse reactions, not just death. Okay, But no, he didn't check. He might, but he didn't. Wait a minute, you're making a pretty big statement about excess all-cause deaths if you didn't even go look at that rudimentary number. It's not that hard to run a report in VAERS. It can be confusing if you don't know how, but I think a doctor should be. If a redneck duck farmer can figure it out, you should have been able to figure it out. I also said, how many excess deaths are due to not getting treatment, canceled cancer screenings, etc.? I've had people on the air who almost died because their cancer was diagnosed late because they had their treatment canceled? How many people had their, 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 or their screening canceled? How many people had that and then died? How many people were denied care because they weren't vaccinated that then died? Did you, did you figure out any of this as how it related to your all-cause mortality? The answer was talk and talk and talk, but no. Interesting. 
How many were due to excess suicides due to lockdowns and lost businesses? We have psychologists coming out saying we have an epidemic of suicides right now. What percentage of deaths were suicides? No answer. Because, and not because the guy's a bad guy, because he didn't look. He was just building his case for his position. And how many were due to massive increases in drug and alcohol use that we know? No answer. Because you don't know because you didn't look. And maybe you would do that and be able to defend your number still. But how do you go throwing a number out like that without saying, well, what is it attributed to? Especially as a doctor. Well, this leads to my big thing about this. His summation in this is we're never going to convince each other. But thank you for responding thoughtfully. Okay, cool. Same with you. But he said, that's what he said. He said, if there was a big conspiracy here in the data, if something was wrong with the data, then the scientists of the world would be pointing it out. Well, many of them who aren't afraid at great risk to their careers, dude, they are pointing it out. But there is no grand conspiracy. There is no grand conspiracy. And I, I told this guy I will buy him a copy of Robert Kennedy's book if he'll promise to read it. I haven't heard back on that one yet. But this is why it's not a conspiracy and it doesn't need to be. First of all, all of this is driven by trials and studies. Okay? And the money to do these things is It's extremely expensive. A simple study is a million plus dollars, right? And most researchers don't just have a million dollars in their back pocket. They rely on grants and things like that to do the research. If they're not directly relying on a grant, they're relying on the institution they work for to receive a grant. Almost all the money in the United States, and there's a great deal of international influence with that, is controlled by a very few people, and the most controlling person in that is one man, Anthony Fauci. So we don't need a grand conspiracy of all scientists. The person can be sitting with their microscope at Stanford, doing their work and believing in what they're doing and handing their information up, but when it all goes to a clinical trial, the parameters of the trial are set by a very few number of people with real influence. I also asked him if he knew what a, a Focebo was. I haven't got an answer on that one yet. If you, if you Google Focebo, you won't find a lot of information about Focebo. Focebo is inside baseball jargon. What do I mean by that? I mean, people in the know use the term all the time. They don't put it in print, though. You know what a placebo is? A placebo is Jack enters a drug trial because I guess he gets brain damaged and stupid enough to do so. And he has a disease, and he's in one of two groups. He's either in the control group or the experimental group. In the control group, I'm supposed to be given a placebo. The experimental uh, group will be given the drug that's being trialed. And then we will compare the results of those two groups at the end of the trial, and we will look for things like, did it work? But we'll also look for things like toxic side effects. A placebo, and you'd know this if you read uh, Robert Kennedy's book, a placebo is when you give the control group an active substance that can also cause side effects. Because every time a side effect pops up in group A, if it also pops up in group B, it cancels out. Or if you had, let's say, a hundred to make the numbers easy, you had a hundred people in a trial, okay, and five people in the, the experimental group getting the new medication got a side effect. Let's say a minor one, a hand tremor. They get a tremor in their hand. Well, if four people in the control group also get a tremor in their hand, then the noted side effect is 1%. And it could be a fraction of a percent if you had like a low end. Let's say you had a honest-to-God 2% existence of this tremor as a side effect. Right? But... You gave the other group a placebo, you could cancel it out down to like a quarter percent, and they'll say it's rare. Two percent's rare, but a quarter percent's a lot more rare. Focebos exist. The fact that the word exists tells you that this is a practice. I also asked him, you know, what would, what would a sixth grade science student, sixth grade, who was just taught the scientific method say when you run a trial, 
And before the trial period's over, you stop giving the placebo or the focebo to your, your control group, and you start giving them the active substance, and you say, it was working so well it would have been unethical not to. They've done this over and over to rig trials. This is all in the open. This is all public record. It gets way worse than I'll go into today. But it's not hidden. It's not a conspiracy. It's not something you have to believe. It's something you can know if you're willing to look. Next thing is, journalists <clears throat> have been trained to follow the rules. So the rules we could see come out big time when the white lab coat frontline doctors went to D.C. and dared to say something like hydroxychloroquine works. So what did the clamoring reporters ask them? Do you have a study we can look at? Do you have a study we can look at? Do you have a study we can read? Have you published your work? Has it been peer-reviewed? As though empirical evidence by doctors is not evidence. Now, why do they ask that question? These people asking that question, I guarantee you, these motherfuckers have never read a clinical study in their fucking life. They don't even read the synopsis. Somebody, a journalism intern, gives them a statement that says it's been debunked by this study. Or it works because of this study. These people who've never read a study, all of a sudden they're interested in studies. And people that have never reported on medicine before are asking this question. Do you know why? Because they have been fucking told when somebody says something that's outside the narrative that we want to push, ask this question. Because they already know those people can't get a study published. Even if they get the money and the funding, they can't get a study, pu study published because Fauci reaches out and squishes journals who Who, who drift from the orthodoxy. And it has happened. It has happened. And so it's not a conspiracy. Everything's public record. Everything can be verified. I'll put it this way. I'm not going to say everything can be verified. Everything I claim can be verified. I don't claim shit unless I've already verified it. Check me, but you can verify it. Every time, 100% of the time. Every... So when I say everything can be verified, what I'm really saying is enough of the damning information to completely dissolve all trust in this system as being anything approaching fucking science can be verified if only ye have the courage to look. And that's the real problem. People don't have the courage to look. They write it off. You want to know why I'm debating this flat earth tard? I'll tell you why. Because I watched a video where Neil deGrasse Tyson refused to debate one of these flat-earth tards. And his, his excuse was, well, first of all, everybody knows. The science is settled, right? And, you know, you can be completely right in a debate, but if the other side has more charisma than you, they can win the debate, even though they're obviously wrong. You know what if you were only talking about flat-earth tards, Neil? I would agree with you. That's the same excuse that everybody uses all the time for everything that science is supposedly settled when it's not settled. And when I heard that, and this dude was like, oh, I'll debate you. Okay, fine. We'll do it. Rigorous academic debate. Controlled debate. Not two people shouting at each other. I might call him an idiot, but we're not going to shout at each other. He can call me an idiot, too. I don't care. Idiocy can be shown by one's beliefs and actions and claims. And we'll, we'll get to that when we get to it. But I, I don't believe that that should be a legitimate defense against debate. I don't believe it, even when, when it's an asinine claim. It should not be a legitimate defense against debate. It, it, it just shouldn't be. Because if you let it become that, then it becomes that for everything that they claim, whoever the fuck they are. And again, this pattern is evident. It's evident in ecology. It's evident in, in, it's evident in, in geology. It's evident in archaeology. Go look at the work that Randall Carlson and Graham Hancock have done. Look at the, 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 the hypothesis they've proposed. Look at how they were treated, and look at how much of it's accepted now. Well, that's true, that's true, and that's true. They were right about all this shit that we said was pseudoscience, but the rest of this is also pseudoscience. It's okay to disagree, but you can't just label everything pseudoscience. You can't just claim there's no point to debate. Now, if there's like one retard that believes a thing, then you don't need to debate it. But when you start amassing a full community of people that believe something, 
You either stand up and you debate something and you hash it out. And if, you, if it's so obvious, if it's so easy to prove, then you do it. And if you don't, it generally means that you're afraid. Now, do I think Tyson is actually afraid that he'll lose to the charisma of a flat earth card? I don't. I think he's just parroting the thing that's become for all of science. It would, it, the, the guy's a media whore. He ain't ever seen a camera he don't want to be in front of. He's an actor. He's not lacking charisma. He certainly has as much charisma as the idiot from Globebusters or what have you. He just, this is the standard answer, and I'm not having it. I'm not having it. All right. I seem to be locked up here. Hopefully I'll unlock in a second. All right, guys. For those who are on the live stream and experience the technical difficulties, from here forward is the audio uh, of what I was trying to give you there. I want you guys definitely to go check out an audio by uh, Scott Atlas. And uh, he's, of course, a, a very well-known uh, doctor and, and a skeptic to many things. Uh, within the mainstream COVID narrative. And, of course, he's been attacked as a quack and things like that by the mainstream media over and over and over again. And, uh, you know, claim that he doesn't know anything about science by people like the, the, the women on The View who actually don't know anything about science. But it was a very well-done presentation put up by Hillsdale College. I put it on my Odyssey channel because I absolutely know that YouTube will take it down, even though it's in impeccably uh, fact-based and researched. Uh, and sourced, because that's how you get taken down from YouTube. You defy the narrative, and you're impeccably sourced. That's when you've got to go. One of the things on there that I found highly disturbing, there was tons of things. Uh, there was definitely reasons for the um, all-cause mortality problems uh, that I was talking about earlier with my doctor friend uh, that could be attributed to it. But one really disturbing thing was a very large portion of college-age uh, young adults said that during the lockdown period, they had unwanted weight gain, right? Because you're all sitting at home eating Twinkies and shit, because that's how you are when you're that age, and you got nothing else to do. But the average weight gain from the extreme to the minor, and then, you know, coming in between, was 23 pounds. 23 pounds is, is a move to almost anybody that puts on 23 pounds in America today. Because almost everybody's at least a little bit overweight because of the way we eat on a daily basis. That puts you square into obesity. That puts you at risk for everything. And this, this, this presentation was one of the best, most level-headed, reasonable presentations with acceptance that both sides have some points to be made that I've ever seen. Of course, that means some people hate it. And what some people said is, oh, I don't know, just how can a guy be so right and so wrong at the time? He said, one of the things that somebody commented on the video was, he said vaccines save lives, we know they cost lives. And my response to that was, depending on how you look at it, both of those things can be true. And what Atlas was talking about is how safe and effective, and, and, and not really safe, but how effective was the vaccine early on when it was first released, when we were still dealing with early variants of COVID. And he said, for people that are old, it was highly effective. For people that were young, it was not very effective. And he said it, it, it did save some lives with those people. Now, here's the thing. That may or may not be true. But it can be true, and it can still cost more lives than it saves. But let me tell you something that's a fact. And you can fact check this shit if you want to. Like I said, this is not conspiracy theory. The first vaccine approved was the Pfizer double jab vaccine. The first one. The sample size was incredibly low. The number of people in the placebo and the control group was incredibly low. Very small number for this type of a trial that you're going to make an emergency use authorization and then tell 330 million people they need this vaccine Way, way small. They said it was 100% effective at preventing death. Okay? How do you get that number? How do you get that number? Well, the sample sizes were so small that during the trial, one person died in the vaccine group and two people died in the placebo group. Well, the one and one canceled to a zero on the vaccine side plus one death So now it's 100% effective. You see how that math works? This is this is pseudoscience masquerading as actual science in a peer-reviewed study. Let's talk about what peer review means for a minute so we can understand this. Peer review does not mean that a bunch of scientists look at your work and say that you're right. 
That's not what it means. It says that you did things the way you said you did them, and your results matched the procedure that you said you did. So, for instance, when we look at trials of hydroxychloroquine, and you overdose patients with five times the dose they're supposed to be getting in late-stage COVID while they're on ventilators by crushing it up and putting it down their throat, and that it didn't work, the peer review says you did what you said you did and that didn't work. It doesn't say, hey, that's not the way to do it, because you defined your methods at the beginning of the study, so any peer review is going to judge you based on the methods that, and, the, and the procedures that you put out. Your results are valid for the thing that you did. Well, that's what Pfizer did with this vaccine. They And then they used this as an old Fauci trick. It worked so well, we're going to inoculate the placebo group. So now any long-term side effects are completely hidden because you know the two groups will match. And so you can have a case that the vaccine, by the numbers, saves lives And it can actually still cost lives on the other side. And if you and, and this is the thing about Atlas's presentation. And if you're going to watch it and learn from it, you need to understand this. He says it, but some people are slow learners. What he says is, I'm using their numbers and giving you the best case scenario, and it's still awful for them. I'm trusting their numbers, and this is how bad that it is. And as he gets into the later variants, it's like this doesn't work at all. But some people will fixate on their ideology, and that's what I wanted to finish up with today. And I'd hope to have a conversation in the live feed, but that's not going to happen now. There are two. There can be two things that seem counter, and both can be true. And the place this is making a lot of people look dumb right now is in the old debate between Beauchamp and Pasteur about terrain theory versus ger ger germ theory, right? And we really shouldn't call it terrain theory. We should call it what it was called at the time, paleomorphic theory. And, and here's the basics of how people explain it today. Germs don't make you sick. Viruses do not cause disease. Healthy people don't get sick. If you are healthy, you will not get sick. The germ theorist says, for every disease... There is one germ, and if we kill the germ, the person won't be sick. Both of those theories have validity. And the way that paleomorphic theory was originally presented was, if we take an apple and we put it in an environment that behooves the apple to not decay, we can stick it in a refrigerator, and the apple can sit there for a month with no decay. If we take a needle and make one prick in the apple's skin, it will begin to decay much faster and it will, will rot. Even if it's overall, because we've damaged it. And now, see, this is the thing. The, 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 the paleomorphic theory never said the germ didn't cause disease, folks. you got to pay attention to the whole thing, not just the part you like to hear. He said the germ alone did not, the bacterium alone did not cause the disease. And the original theory was scientifically flawed in that it described these microbes changing over time. You know, becoming eventually a fungus. That's wrong. It doesn't mean the theory itself is wrong, that the person that's healthy is less likely to be sick. And if, if you actually read the shit that doctors are supposed to learn in medical school... They absolutely learn that there should be greater credit given to engineers than vaccinologists for the reduction in death rate in, in, in the Western world. They are taught that in medical school. They just conveniently forget it. But that doesn't mean that germs don't cause disease, and I'll explain it this way. You can be healthy as you can possibly be. If you were to intentionally do a bad job canning a low-acid food and allow botulism to take over and then consume that food without boiling off the botulism toxin. It'll kill you. I don't care how healthy you are. 
If somebody were to come up to you and you had never been vaccinated against and never had smallpox and misted smallpox virus in your nose, there's about a 99.9% chance you're going to get smallpox. Now, not everybody that gets smallpox dies, but a lot of people do, and a lot of people are permanently scarred for life. And you're going to get it because these are virulent toxins or viruses. Right? Now, it is true that the healthier a person is, the better chance they have of surviving an infection. And that really healthy people can often be exposed to something like a COVID virus, which is pretty minor in reality, despite what we've been told, and not get sick at all. And be healthy. He'll call it asymptomatic because we found the virus in your system by doing 99 million cycles on a PCR test. All that's true. It doesn't mean that if you are exposed to germs and you're healthy, you will never get sick. And the people that keep saying that, I'm sorry, you're in denial of reality. And the thing that's always used to explain this is a fish tank. And it's always used by people that never kept fish for any length of time. And that means they don't know what the fuck they're talking about, and they shouldn't use an analogy that they do not understand. If you keep fish, it will only be a matter of time before sooner or later you will deal with some sort of infection in your fish tank. And the germ theorist says, treat the infection. And the terrain theorist says, make sure you're feeding your fish the right food and clean the tank. And the fish keeper, who actually lives with the reality of this, treats the infection and cleans the tank. You see how that works? That's what we do. We, we notice something like ick, which is a parasite on our fish. We raise the temperature of the tank. That's a terrain feature, by the way. And what we're doing is we're shorting the life cycle of the parasite so that it remains in its exposed state more frequently so it can be killed by the treatment. And we also do water changes to remove as many of the, of the, of the problem uh, critters as possible and to keep the space as clean as possible. Both sides of these make sense. And the problem that we've had is, the, is that both sides take a puritanical approach. The germ theorist says, we're science. You're not science. People are not science. Science is a process. Science and doctors and scientists will acknowledge that a healthy person will generally be better to, able to fight off an ailment than a sick person. They'll acknowledge it, but then they'll pretend they didn't. There's, there's no scientific evidence whatsoever that a healthy person has the same risk as a sick person when it comes to COVID or any other viral infection. No evidence at all. But they act like it's true. It could be deadly for everybody all the time. So I really encourage you to watch the Atlas presentation that I have linked for you in the notes today. And I'm sorry if I'm a little thrown off here at the end, having all that shit go sideways for me in the middle of that live feed. And I, I can't even explain what was going on on my end, but it was a real problem. Uh, kind of messed me up and threw everything off. But I am going to wrap up now. I deeply encourage you to think about some of the things we talked about today, and I will be back next week, and hopefully I'll be back on YouTube, and these technical gremlins will be behind us, and we'll be ready to rock again. If you have questions for me and you'd like to hear them in a future variety show like this, remember you can always send them to me, jack at the survivalpodcast.com with TSBC in the subject line. You pull yourself up, they keep bringing you down. Are they going to bail you out or just... Run you round. They said you should have a house the American way. A dollar down, a dollar a month, and you never have to pay. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way. Shut
there's nothing I can do It's the price we pay, I guess, and we follow all the rules There's a better way to do this Let me show you a better way Yeah.